are recording, Janet Anscombe. Hi, everybody. My name is Cleo O'Flynn. I am one half of Canary Cast. I'm down in the southwest in Cayo Savage, and the other half is is currently 300 meters under the snow line, so it is rather chilly. But not under the everybody snow. Is not in the snow, under the snow line. I wouldn't mind being in the snow, but we aren't. Hello, everybody. <laughs> well, Janet, let's let us use that as the intro. Today we want to talk about snow, uh, snow plows, skiing, but we're also going to talk about ham sandwiches, I think. I and think we are, yes. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit of a COVID Brexit weather cast, if that makes yes. any sense. A genuine canary cast. A genuine canary cast. All right. Well, let us begin with snow then, because as anybody who has access to any form of social media <laughs> will know by now, there's a little bit of snow up on Mount Tady, just a bit. More than just a bit. And in Madrid as well. I mean, Philomena has left snow all over the country. Madrid hasn't seen this much snow for, well, 50 years, I think it is. It was a long time ago. Here, of course, we are used to it in the winter because Tady is so tall. And highest mountain in Spain, actually, if anybody isn't aware of that, it's the tallest mountain in Spain. Indeed. Third highest volcano in the world, is it? Or in Europe? I think in Europe, actually. Yes, I think so. And AMET, the Met Office in Spain, has a station in the observatory, which is obviously up on up in the caldera, just beyond the teleferico, the cable. They were showing that there was 20 centimetres of snowfall overnight. This was yesterday, so the night before last, there were 20 centimetres. And they had a photo showing this guy on his tummy with a, um, a hole dug in the snow and a, um, a tape measure measuring 20 centimetres. That's about eight inches. That's considerable snowfall. <laughs> Visuals are really where it's all at when it comes to things like snow, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I remember when I first moved here, or before possibly, it's 20, I'm into my 21st year here now, somebody saying it was one of the few places in the world that they knew of where within an hour and a half you could go from sunbathing on the beach to having a snowball fight. Yes, ex and exactly. And we've all seen images or seen it in real life of people who've gone up in their cars to see the snow and they make a snowman on the bonnet and then they have a race down and the one who gets to the bottom with the biggest snowman still intact is obviously the winner and that brings us rather nicely on to the fact that there were rather a lot of people up there yesterday the they the roads were closed because of the snowfall and because there were um I, there was ice on, on the road and it was perilous. So they started off closing the northern access routes. Mm -hmm. Then they closed the Chio and the San Miguel routes up. And in the end, they said all the access roads are closed. Then in their mind, perhaps, they made a mistake. They reopened them and said, okay, you can go up. But remember, no crowds by We're law. And the recommendation is minimize your moving about, please. So yeah. be a bit sensible. Well, common sense and snow don't go together. No, rarely. They never go together. And there are now umpteen videos out there security services, Guardia Civil and Protection Civil, and the National Park Rangers driving around, driving down the access roads and videoing all the cars coming up yeah. into the caldera, nose to tail for kilometer after kilometer. The end result was there was a multitude up there 
yeah. at a time when we're supposed to be socially distanced and not moving around. So today, even though there's been no more snow, they have actually reclosed the roads. And because they need a reason to do that, they've said there's ice on the carriageway. I don't know whether there is or not, but the roads are closed. No one can go up there. Every now and then I, I knew, or I tried to learn a new Spanish word. And the one that just has, I've loved, even though it's not a nice uh, word because of what it implies, is aglomeraciones, which means kind of crowding. Um, and that was the standout word at the moment with regard to trips up Teddy. You're going to be yes. crowding. You're going to be in crowds. So please don't. Absolutely. And it, it, it's sort of a word that's sort of used when you are thinking of uh, Puerto del Sol in Madrid on New Year's Eve or a football match, you know. Yeah. Um, or Barcelona versus Real Madrid or whatever. Then you have an agglomeración. Yeah. And goodness, did we have one yesterday up Teddy. And I mean, I know I, I get it, but I mean, it, it's such a shame at the moment to to take such a risk. Isn't but, and it, it, it happens every year. I mean, every year, every year. the internet becomes flooded with pictures of snow and Teddy, and it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And most of us want to show. We're, if we're Canarian, it's a novelty, especially for the kids. If we have oh. moved here, we want to show our people back home. Look, we have snowy peaks as well as sunny beaches. So exactly. it's a novelty, but uh, use someone else's pictures, guys, especially this year, because the last thing you need is to go up Mount Tady, get sick, come back down and end up in hospital. Well, the simple fact is this, it snows every year and it's always, so let's hope we're going to be here next year to see that snowfall and we maximise our chance of that by not going up this year. Yeah. It's that simple. It is. I mean, and it is. And, and um that it, like as you say, it is that simple. So let the security forces and the police and and what you were going to tell me about the ski patrols. There's ski patrols, you say. Anybody who reads Harry Potter will know the word grim, because the grim is a big black dog that appears when you are about to be killed. That's right. It's a force. Or suffer a horrible death, isn't it? Well. Sorry? The foretelling of death to come. That's right. It's, it really is the foretelling of death. Well, big black dogs in the mountain often bring life as well because St. Bernard's and Newfoundlands, they go and rescue people in the snow. Here in Spain and in Tenerife, we have the Guardia Civil, and their mountain unit is called the Grim. It's really? a grupo, it's, it's something like Grupo. Um, Rescate something montañas. Yeah, Especial de Montañas. So it's something like that. Anyway, it's a special unit for mountain rescue. And although they work in the most horrendous conditions, can you imagine? You know, they're trying to get people who've run into difficulty, perhaps overnight, buried in snow, hmm. um, in in a blizzard. And these guys go out in all these weathers. So wow. it's a it's an horrendous job, but. When they do their training, they've got to feel that it's got some compensations because they have videos showing their training and they're doing bobsleighing and they're doing skiing and they're doing- Things that we're not allowed to do on Mount Because of their training, because these are the conditions they actually have to work in when people get into big trouble. So they, they publish these videos now and again, and you can see the joy and the fun. And these are such professionals that they have enormous fun training in order to be able to save our lives. 
Well, so if anybody goes to my website, one of the latest posts on the homepage is a video of their training. Right. In very healthy conditions. And they're clearly enjoying every second of it. Years and years and years ago, when I first moved here, I worked with the Island Connections newspaper and there was a we covered a April Fool story. Now, I, we didn't invent it, but we covered it where someone had done a beautiful kind of photo journalist essay about how Mount Teddy was about to become a ski resort. Um, oh, I, remember, it, I remember that. <laughs> and, it, and it seemed so plausible at the time because really, you know, on days like these, it would be just a gorgeous place to go skiing. But of course, it, it's a national park. It is protected by by the government because it is a her it's a national heritage site. Um, but I have images now of, of the Weather Seville doing their bobsleigh practice. And I'm thinking, God, now there's a there's a plus if you're going to be a Weather Seville. If you have to go out at three o'clock in the morning to rescue someone who's got no better than a t-shirt and shorts on and in in a blizzard when you don't know where they are and it's pitch black and it's icy and dangerous and you know, if you've got to do that, then you deserve the chance to bobsleigh <laughs> while training. <laughs> true, true. Well deserved. Well done. There are, there are pluses and minuses. There are pluses. <laughs> okay. Um, let's stay here for the time being in in Tenerife and in the Canary Islands, Janet, because we're going to kind of flip to COVID for a minute. Um, now, while compared to Ireland and the UK, our figures are healthy healthy is kind of the wrong word to use in a sense but they're a lot better and they seem to be being managed much more perhaps that's because that virulent strain from the UK and the other one from South Africa hasn't arrived here our schools have opened yesterday without incident um which is like a miracle compared to when I tell my sisters are kind of going what she's going back to school I'm going she's going back to school and there's no bother there's no panic there's no uh, question mark over it you know um but what the governments i think i am predicting and i i can see it beginning to happen local governments will begin to campaign quite widely i think now for vaccine uptake i'm not saying that those vaccines available for everybody yet but they are beginning to come in they have finished as far as i'm aware they've they have finished with the uh care homes i think or there's uh, nationally, and they're starting um, like with the, the old people's home in Adeche. The workers were vaccinated yesterday. The mayor had a picture up on his page. So bit by bit, I think you're going to see local councils starting to promote vaccination uptake. And by the way, I thought this was interesting. I was talking to a couple of colleagues today. Now, this was just in passing. So I am what I am about to say is hearsay, but I believe it's true. From what I gather, private hospitals in Spain at the moment are not allowed a quota of the vaccine because it is not to be sold on to individuals. It is only for public distribution. And I think that is um, very much to be welcomed. I couldn't agree more. It is available through the state system. And oh. my understanding in the Canaries from what Angel Torres, who is the president of the regional government, said we're about 60 percent of the way through now the first prioritized group so we aren't we are not very far away now from learning who the second prioritized grouping will be and they'll yeah. start on that the reason for starting i think from what I, the the soundings i'm getting is, is are that the idea is that because we're so far now through the first prioritized group and being prepared 
for the second prioritised group to come online. They need now already to start telling the general public this is coming, it is available, it, well, it isn't you yet, but it will be you in due course. I'm getting These it. are the, the situation and getting people acclimatised to the idea, but also getting in before the misinformation starts. Yeah. And, and these conspiracy theories and the, the lies and the stupidity that that all entails. They're getting in now with the it, real genuine information so that people, by the time it does become available for the general public through the state system, mm. they are fully informed, used to the idea, acclimatised to the prospect. And they can, as long as we can get up to something like 80%, or even 75, 80 percent. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we will probably be as safe as we can be. This isn't going to go away, and they're no. they're already talking about maybe this is going to be more than one vaccination a year. But they're doing what they can with what is available right now, and I think it is entirely laudable that they are preparing people, getting them ready, yeah. and trying to prevent misinformation getting the upper hand this yeah. early. I mean, I'm again. This is. From a personal point of view, and most people, I think a lot of people listen to the podcast know that I am an employee of the Adeche Council Press Office. I'm still yeah. currently on sick leave because I had a back operation. That's, but um, hopefully I'll be back at work soon because I'm hoping that I can contribute to any campaign that is done locally because I think it will be essential that it's in a number of languages. So rather than saying that. to people, here's the vaccine, if, if they're going to roll out you know, um, information leaflets or explanatory campaigns, videos, I really think it will be very important that they can get to as many people who are resident here as possible. Because obviously, and this is anybody who's listening, if you are resident here, if you're registered with the health service, which you should be, you are as entitled to this vaccine as anybody who is born here. If you are a Canarian, registered as a Canarian resident, you will be entitled to this vaccine. Well, as an EU legal resident, you are indistinguishable throughout the EU. You are indistinguishable from a national of the country in which you're legally resident. So as long as you're legally resident and registered in the state system, which means having a, a little blue card, a tarjeta sanitaria, yeah. if you've got one of those when you're in the state system and you're registered, you can only get one of those if you are registered legally, then you are as entitled as the next person whether they are Spanish or out of Mongolian, as long as they're legally resident in Spain or a Spanish national, you will get the vaccine in the same order as they will. Exactly. And depending on your age, your state of health, your cohort. Um, and I think yeah. that's important. Uh, so, I mean, I, there have been a couple of queries. I wasn't quite sure people were saying, how can I find out about the vaccine? And I initially said to people, ring your health centre and ask your doctor. But I mean, as far as I'm aware, that isn't possible yet. You can't simply, like you, normally with the flu vaccine, you can ring up and book it. Now, at yeah. the moment, you can't because obviously they're uh, they're still working out numbers. Um, I mean, Spain are part of the European Union's vaccine program. So they are using yeah. vaccines that are being distributed throughout the European Union. So at the moment, for instance, we don't have the Oxford vaccine. Um, but right. I mean, perhaps that's a matter of time. Um, I would imagine the European Union are looking at all the possibilities to and and all the ways that they can increase the availability of the vaccine and the numbers of vaccine available to all European countries. So 
any any delay i mean people are are saying oh it's not getting here soon enough or why is it being so slow a lot of it is down to availability and all countries are being treated equally absolutely and i think that is a very important point that this is not a nationalistic thing it's not no. a uk of an oxford vaccine it, it is just a matter of um supply accreditation and purchasing ability and movement ability now okay the uk is in a different situation at the moment because of um, having left the eu but each country is providing what it is able to acquire and mm -hmm. spain spain is well up there with any other best country in yeah. getting supplies and can afford to buy all the supplies it needs and give people them in good order so there is absolutely no concern here that people are getting a, a, a quality vaccine that has yeah. been EU accredited, which is the exactly. same as will be the case in the UK, and it will be available in good order and as available as and when supplies are available themselves. Right. And of course, these vaccines have a lifespan and they must be kept in certain conditions. So their supply is a matter of production delivery. And so they can't just buy a batch sufficient to treat the whole country in one go. They have to be made and delivered, you know. So Spain is doing and what it needs to do. Having lived get here, vaccine. Exactly. And uh, having lived here for many years, and I mean, personally, I I am a fan of the health system. Um, what's good to know is that health centers will be the main distribution points. I mean, Spain has ready-made something like 15,000 distribution points. They are ready to go. So and and that's good to know that I mean they will use the resources that are available to them, um, yes. and the health centres here are widely used by people and in an orderly fashion. Uh, I mean I've been calling up to my health centre in Armenia recently just for checkups, and it just works so efficiently. And they are avoiding that that word the the overcrowding. You have an appointment at eight, you might wait for ten minutes, but there's maybe one other person in the waiting room with you, very well distanced. Um, and it is just, I feel so well looked after and I have ever since I moved here. So I have faith in the Spanish health system. Other people might disagree with me, but you know, I- I, well, I don't, I agree with you. I have faith in it myself and have not once been disappointed with the treatment I've no. have received through there, there are waiting lists, I mean, waiting lists yeah. happen, but once you are in the hands of professionals, all of the professionals I've ever dealt with have been-, have been Exactly. So that, that's vaccine. Um, and I suppose, since you mentioned the UK and mentioned the fact that apparently the United Kingdom has left the European Union, which might come as some surprise to some people. <laughs> <laughs> but what has been hitting the headlines in a way and making videos go viral, I mean, I saw one yesterday at a Dutch port, um, is customs officer taking ham sandwiches off lorry drivers, which it has Jeez come as a huge <laughs> but it is i mean the first couple of days of brexit and calais and dover and ports were absolutely fine because there were very few people traveling and very few lorries traveling but now i think brexit is beginning to bite isn't it the bbc has an article on its website today about the surprise felt by some British residents of the Costa del Sol that everything is happening so quickly. I, I really struggle to understand how for torturous years of preparation qualifies for the adjective or the adverb quickly, mm -hmm. but 
there are people who are surprised by Brexit having happened. And yes, Dover was working fine for a few days because there was virtually no traffic. Exactly. So when John Redwood went on Radio 4 and said, see, all this project fear rubbish, Dover is working normally. Yeah, Dover's working normally with about 20% of the... On the, on the 1st of January or something. On you know? the 1st of January. <clears throat> so what happened yesterday well, or the day before was that a lorry driver from the UK... I don't know what nationality he was, but it's irrelevant because he was leaving the UK and going into the EU, was stopped and his goods were checked and he was determined to be carrying a cheese and ham sandwich, which was confiscated. <laughs> I mean, made by him or his mammy or somebody, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea who, but it was in foil and it was confiscated because you can't import food privately into the EU. Yeah. Now, obviously, the UK, particularly the some press, have, have gone to town on it and said how petty, how pathetic, how vicious, how vengeful. Why are they trying to do this to us? All we wanted was our independence, and they're taking our sandwiches off us. But as I posted on my website, the fact is that the EU is a block of countries that are in a union, and they don't want food that isn't commonly understood to be safe. Now, to us, a cheese and ham sandwich sounds the most normal thing in the world, but what about dog meat? Yeah. What about bats? There are places in the world where these are eaten and the EU doesn't want them. Now, they are therefore saying the UK is no longer in the EU. Your foods have to go into that category because this is a clear boundary issue. And it's no good saying, well, treat us differently because we're special, yeah. because you're now a third country and you can't bring food in. <clears throat> there are reports that from caravan associations, apparently there are lots of Brits who like to go on holiday in their caravans in France for the summer, which is a, probably a lovely thing to do if you like caravans. Lovely. And they like to take their British food with them. Being and they, they aren't going to be able to. And they, they've suddenly realised so they too are surprised that Brexit, um, that the things we said would happen and which were dismissed as project fear turn out actually to be true. But it's sad, I, but it, it's the reality. About four years ago, I embarrassed the hell out of my daughter on our first trip. <laughs> Um, and we were going through, there's a Homeland Security checkpoint in Dublin airport. So you do all of that when you're in Dublin. And yeah. We were going through and the guy, the American officer said, do you have any food items in your take on luggage? And I had made sandwiches. I make sandwiches for the plane. And I, he said, no, I'm afraid you can't take them. So exactly the same thing happened to me. I had to remove my tin yeah. and ham and cheese sandwiches and put them in a bin. And yeah. my daughter was mortified and I was a bit curious. But I mean, I just thought, oh, OK, I'm not allowed to take food that is prepared here on a plane that's going to the US. It is part of the rules because I'm leaving the European Union. Absolutely. I felt like an yes, idiot. These are the rules. But these, these are, are the rules. And, and that was it. Yeah. And the and the fuss has been so great over the last 36, 48 hours that the Foreign Office today has updated its travel advice. Um, you, you know that we've always told people if you want official information on travel and living in Spain, go to yeah. Gov UK and look at their travel section exactly. because when you go to gov uk on the home page 
it's got living abroad and travel abroad and it's just a link and you click on there and it tells you everything about any European country you might be thinking of visiting or living in and they have today updated that to say to remind the British public that they are no longer EU nationals and if they're entering the bloc then they cannot import private food now that sounds like a business activity but even taking a sandwich on a plane yeah. or in a lorry because a, is a private import and I'm afraid that that is no longer possible. Yeah, and that's just, I mean, I James LBC on Twitter was also saying. Oh, I like him. I, I like, like him. him and I, I follow him on Twitter. And I mean, he was, I think, referencing the whole issue of the fact that there were reports that British residents in Costa del Sol were surprised at certain of the new regulations. And it was like my my immediate reaction was similar to yours is, how can people be surprised if they have if they're actually resident in Spain and have been for anything more than the last two weeks? How can they be at all surprised? Because it has been spelled out chapter and verse for four years and certainly for the last 12 months since we were in the transition period. And the simple fact is that it is hard to understand how people wouldn't have been aware of it. And yet, between Christmas and New Year, I had one email, which is like a couple of others. I've only had about three in the last six months. One of them was between Christmas and New Year of people saying, look, can you just tell me what the hell is all this about Brexit? Now, OK, three isn't many, but it's three more than I ever expected to get. You know, after all this time, all this, where do people live? Have they got their head in a paper bag? all this time I and mean, where do people live that they don't even know about Brexit never mind the fact that it has already happened now it, it is I mean it's okay you and me are political animals and we were avid news watchers and we talked to each other about these things yes exactly who cares to listen but I mean it, it's like not knowing at the moment that there's snow on Tady uh where have you been if you yes, don't exactly Brexit happen exactly. and that it affects you directly if you are either resident in Spain a property owner in Spain who likes to come here regularly or would in the past have popped over for more than 90 days in any one period thinking that you could spend five or six months here uh, every winter through to spring without any and I do also have to query or question the mindset of anybody, not just British people, but anybody who goes and lives in a country other than their own and then doesn't keep up to date with at least issues that affect residents in that country. I, I, I fail completely and utterly to understand the mindset of someone who says, well, you know, I'm X nationality, they can't do anything to me and I don't need to keep myself up to date on how to be legal. I, I don't understand and I make no apology for not understanding that. Sometimes I'm loath to comment because I'm not British and I'm ter I'm scared that anything I would say might be construed as being anti-British or something. But I have, through my work, come across people who have moved here and live in their nice apartment near a pool, go to, I don't know, the, the pig and tucker or some, I'm, I hope I'm making that name up. <laughs> watch Coronation Street and go home and they watch British television and they 
really might not know what's going on. They haven't made any effort, but they never really believed that they've needed to. And personally, I think that's a bit sad that you would come and live in this gorgeous island. And if you don't step outside your comfort zone, let alone your front door, you're never really going to enjoy the island that you've come to live in. Apart mm. from the politics of it, you're denying yourself so much if you just move within that tiny little circle of activity. So Exactly. I think this is one reason you and I both agreed that we would incorporate into these canary cast in future some little stories about the about life here that doesn't impinge on any particular nationality or being an immigrant in, yeah. in Spain it, it it just and has nothing little, to do with Brexit <laughs> nothing to do with Brexit or Covid or anything just like we were talking about the Guardia Seville Mountain Rescue Unit then we can do stuff like that I, I would hope that periodically we would do a, something that contributes to an understanding of the environment in which we are all living. Yeah. And yeah. as you were saying earlier, if anybody has something that they particularly are interested in but know nothing about and would like us to research it, we're more than happy to do Absolutely. that. And we both and discuss it. looking into things, investigating. Exactly. I mean, in a way, perhaps, Janet, like we've done with our focus group, the Adeke focus group, obviously we're not meeting at the moment, but we have gone to local award-winning cheese farm um, to the find airport. out how to make the local cheeses. We've been up to the airport to find out yes. how the airport operates backstage. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought, would people be interested maybe in, if we could research, get some information about the Wanches, the original Aborigines who lived here, whose mommies are still up in the the museum in, in the north in Tenerife. I don't know. Are people I would in, love that. Um, I would love there's an organization called Saprona, who are the organization that look after wildlife that has been, for instance, turtles that get caught in fishing nets and need to be nursed back to health and then released back into the sea. There's an organization here in Tenerife that is dedicated to that. So if people are interested, Every now and then we can pick a topic and spend maybe 10 minutes talking about it. Exactly. Research. And if we can find an expert from the organization who speaks a bit of English, bring them on as well. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. All right. And somebody we want to talk to very, very soon is our friend Deepika. Um, yes. Who has moved from the British Consul and is working now for... It's Age in Spain, I think is the name of the organization. It's certainly an organization that helps the elderly. I believe it's called Age in Spain. And they are also helping, or they have been helping, even younger people who are British in Spain, who needed, just before the end of the year, who, who needed to get their um, paperwork in order before the end of the, with, no, before the end of the transition period. Okay. Okay. And so they were helping other people as well, but generally, is to do with the elderly and yeah I mean it would be really good to have Deepika on to to talk about that side of life here because we do have a disproportionately mature population really it's the sort of place people love to retire to. Exactly so in fact well let's put that out there now if people would have questions for somebody like Deepika who works for Age in Spain they could send, could they send to your website at the moment, Janet? Oh, they can, yeah, absolutely. Put it on the website or by email or and on the focus page. Them and then do a question and answer session with her. Exactly. Next week or the week after. We'll get in touch with her and see when she's free to come on. That'd be really good. All right, then. Well, that's, that's our plan for 2021. 
we want to we're going to keep going with Canary Cast as an independent unit, apart from the Adeche English Time program, which we hope to have back on air maybe in February. So we want to expand a little bit, maybe you know move away from pure politics or pure news, and you know get a little bit. And also one thing that seems to have gone down well in, in the feedback I've had is that people like to hear us chatting as just a chat and expressing personal opinions, which when it's done through the council's radio station, that it, it is somewhat constrained because it's an official organisation. Whereas doing it as an independent like podcast, we can do that. We like to chat. <clears throat> we, we like to chat and we have opinions. So I think we do. <laughs> well, the next time I'll have to have a pot of tea as well. Then, if we're going to have chats, we need tea. We certainly do. Tea and cakes, or coffee and cakes. Ooh, coffee and cakes. Coffee and croissants. Coffee and cakes. Coffee and croissants. Yeah, I'll go with that. All right, <laughs> we will leave that with our listeners. The the how many of you there are. Hopefully, you're enjoying what we're doing so far. We love. I hope so. Back. Um, keep it clean. <laughs> Try and. We, we're, we're doing what we do because, as I say, we like to talk and we hope that what we do is of some help or of some interest or even vaguely amusing. Who knows? Um, but we and, and the feedback has been that people do like it because it's easier sometimes. People, people's time, although at the moment everybody's perhaps at home and, and, and they don't know what to do with their time, but normally people are driving around, they're busy, they're taking kids to school, they're doing the shopping, they're doing, you know, it's easier actually to listen to something for 20 minutes or so than to sit down and read an article or people wouldn't perhaps do that. So it does seem to be a format that is increasing in popularity generally. And the feedback we've had is such that it, well, it, it's, it's very heartening. Yeah. Other people seem to like it. We like doing it. So I'm also a podcast fan. So it's nice to have one that I can uh, enjoy and do with you, Janet. So it exactly. is something that I think Me we too. All right, so until next week, then we'd love to hear back from you. But um, there's, you know, we've got a couple of ideas. We're going to see how things plan out in terms of what's going on here, uh, and we want to talk to Deepika soon as well. So, but let us know if there's topics you'd like us to talk about or deal with. We're not pretending to be experts on the things that we're not expert on, um, but exactly. we see we, we're good at tweaking, I think, and we're good at nudging people to give us the information we need. Yeah, and I suppose. We have the one advantage that we definitely have is that we we know who to go to when it's someone where we don't know the information. And so if people want to know something and they don't know where to find out, it is possible that we would have contacts we could contact um, to find out for them. But from today's Sandwich Gate podcast, <laughs> it's goodbye from Janet. Sandwich Gate, snow plow and sandwich break from the Brothers Grimm. <laughs> <laughs> yes we hope you enjoyed it. yourself because i think we've enjoyed making today's podcast we have I'm bye everybody next week bye bye